Court is now in session. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Mr. Williams, when you're prepared, please proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, good morning, Your Honors. My name is Mark Williams. I'm attorney for Appellant Erickson Cabin, LLC. Um, appellant is uh, coming before you today seeking the reversal of the district court's ruling um, on a summary judgment motion uh, filed by appellees Busey Bank and uh, Garrett Bradley and Brian Schulte. The district court granted summary judgment uh, on the grounds that uh, saying that uh, appellant did not meet its burden um, regarding two elements of the four in a slander of title case. Uh, the three and four elements, uh, as this court knows, are the publication of words with malicious intent and a pecuniary loss uh, by uh, the appellant as a result um, of that publication. I'd first like to talk about the fourth element, which is the pecuniary loss. As the court Counselor, knows... Can, can, I, can I ask you to talk about the third one first? Would you mind doing that? Nope, not at all, Your Honor. Um, okay, good. good. Thank, thank, thank you for commenting. No, and no, no and my question, my question is a simple one. Uh, you may know under Missouri law, it says that innocent or ignorant words is what the modern cases say. The old cases say stupidity or ignorance is 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 the is the is the in the ancient cases in this line. But they say they're definitely not malicious, not malice at all. And what do you have here? We're at summary judgment stage. What do you have to show that this was anything other than innocent, stupid, and ignorant? Your Honor, I think, Your Honor, it's a very good question. And I think you look at the totality of the evidence before the district court. And that is, and first and foremost, we're dealing with two individuals in a banking institution in the state of Illinois who clearly state in their depositions and also in their affidavits that for most of their um, working life, they've been in the banking business. And because of that, there were many ways that they could have researched this issue uh, before they filed this full deed of release, which is, uh, as, as the authors know, when you file this full deed of release on a piece of property in the state of Missouri, you are telling the world that this is free and clear of any liens or encumbrances, which was actually in the body of the full deed of release. They did so without using all the resources they had before them to determine whether or not the predecessor in, in their title, Pulaski Bank, actually had a valid lien on this property. Uh, but Council, what, 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 what takes that, what you just described, above the level of negligence? Well, because I think... And is negligence enough under Missouri law? Your Honor, I don't, I don't think negligence is enough to, to prove malicious intent. And I think that is exactly why appellees have continually argued, argued, sorry, we just made a mistake. We're sorry, we just made a mistake. That's what they say over and over. That's what they said in their briefs on the summary judgment motion. And that's what they've said in the brief to, to this court. Um, so I, I think we have to go above negligence. And I think that's the malicious issue. So what we would argue is because of the, the experience uh, that that uh, Mr. Schulte and Mr. Bradley have in the banking institutions specifically related to the real estate transactions, that their actions went to reckless disregard of what they were doing. And that gets us above the negligence and gets us into the malicious intent issue, which we believe the totality of the evidence shows um, that there is. Well, is, is there is there Missouri law to the effect that um, a reckless conduct is sufficient? For malicious, uh, for the malicious standard, 
Your Honor, I, I, I couldn't find that case. I, I, as Judge Benton pointed out, uh, what I found is the, is the words of, um, and I think Bechtel and his prodigy talk about that, um, where it talks about ignorance and stupidity and uses those types of words. Um, so I, I, I don't know that, uh, you know, I have a case that I can cite before you that talks about the reckless disregard, but I think we have to, as, the, as plaintiffs in this case, to show the malicious intent, uh, go go to that level. I would concede that negligence, I believe, is not enough uh, because it would just be a, a, a you know some sort of negligence claim that we could have filed against Busey Bank for for just um, uh, violating the duty that they had to make sure uh, that the deed of trust was in fact uh, still in place and or had been assigned to another bank, uh, which obviously they did not do until um, over a year later um, after they had filed the full deed of release. Um, but I think, again, I, I would argue, as I argued before the district court, it, it, the totality of the circumstances, the totality of the evidence on this malicious issue um, shows, in our opinion, that there is a genuine issue as to this fact of malicious intent. And this is an issue that should go before the jury. Uh, the jury should uh, be the Mr. One Williams, what, what else? You've, you've talked about sort of the, the knowledge that these experienced bankers you believe should have, and you've, you've alleged that. What else do you have beyond that from which a jury could infer or find, you know, or infer from other circumstances that there was, in fact, malice? What else have you got other than than the two people themselves and, the, and what they do as bankers? Well, Your Honor, I believe we have, uh, by their own words, they, they made assumptions in this case. They assumed that since they could not find something in their own internal records, that the promissory note had been paid off and therefore gave them authority to file this full deed of release. We have that evidence, Your Honor. We also have the fact that Mr. Bradley um, had been in uh, with Busey Bank at the time that the transition from Pulaski to Busey Bank. He knew and he acknowledged in his deposition that he knew that Pulaski Bank almost immediately uh, sold their loans on the third party market, uh, which would then, based on any training experience of a banker who is in retail real estate loan transactions should know that there are other methods to find out whether or not a third party bank has an interest in this land. And that's the MERS system. Um, and he did not uh, avail himself of that MERS system, which then, as the court knows from the April uh, 2019, April uh, 2018 emails, he immediately upon Mr. Erickson talking to him, went to another department within his own bank and they did a MERS system uh, search. He, he, all that was available to him, and, and he did not avail himself, even though he knew that Pulaski Bank immediately sold loans on the third-party market. Um, and that, so I have those, that evidence, Your Honor. Um, it was clear that the MERS system showed them immediately that there was another bank out there that may have an interest in this land, and that's NationStar. Um, that, that, that sounds like um, knew or should have known. Is that, is that what you're arguing? I'm arguing that he sh that he did know, Your Honor. Um, I don't. I'm not. I don't. I think based on his training experience, um, he's basically testified in his deposition that during his entire adult life, um, he was in, he's been in the banking business. He knew uh, these. Uh, there was other methods and other ways to find out whether or not another bank had an interest in this land. Is it different to say he knew there were other ways to find out more information, and that to say that he knew? that what they were actually presenting was false? 
Yeah, I would say, I mean, I, I understand your question. I, I would say that that's, yeah, that I would say that to protect himself from not making a false declaration in a deed of release, he should have availed himself of methods that he knew were available to him so that he would not make a false declaration. I hope I answered that question. Um, next, Your Honors, we have the fact that in, in, in by his own admission in April of 2018, after, after he had members of his bank do the MERS system research and find out that there may have been an interest in the land with NationStar, uh, Mr. Bradley did nothing, uh, nor did Mr. Schulte, to rectify the filing of that full deed of release. Um, they, they did not go to their legal department. They did nothing but, but rely upon Mr. Erickson, uh, who is a member of, uh, of the LLC, uh, which is appellant, to, I guess, tell him, you know, what can we do for you now? Well, it's clear my client's not a, my, you know, my, a member of my client is not a lawyer. He's not. A, there's nothing in the record to say my client is an expert in real estate transactions. They have much more expertise, uh, and the record shows that. They knew exactly what would happen when they filed that full deed of release, that this would tell the world, and especially in this situation where you have an attorney out of the state of Iowa, asking them whether or not this bank has an interest so they can foreclose on this piece of property. Um, that, that in and of itself uh, should have you know, brought the importance of this issue of whether there was a lien uh, to the forefront of their mentality, in our opinion. Um, and that is all clear in the record. Um, and I think a jury, looking at how they acted and what they did, I think that's a question for the jury whether or not that was malice versus just, as the uh, appellee would have you find, was just simple negligence. Uh, we believe it, it rises much more above uh, just simple negligence because of the expertise and experience of these two individuals that are clearly agents for Busey Bank. Um, I don't think there's any discussion about or any misunderstanding about that. Um, they also, Your Honors, I would point you to their affidavits that they filed in support of the summary judgment. They claim that uh, the documents that they filed both in 2018 and 2019 were done in the regular course of their business. But we know that's not true. When, when Martin Lay, uh, the trustee, the, uh, uh, the new trustee for NationStar, contacts them and, and points out the fact that they erroneously filed a full deed of release, we have this thing called an affidavit um, of erroneous deed of release, which admittedly both uh, Mr. Brad and Ms. Schulte, they don't even know what that is. Uh, they have no clue. They never even have ever heard of it. They've never drafted it. They've never done anything. Yet in their affidavits, they want this court to believe, as they wanted the district court to believe, that this is something they do in the regular course of their business. Well, that, that's not true, and that's an issue that should go for the jury on the issue of malice. They are doing things for which they know nothing about. Um, and I think that rises well above negligence because, again, they are experienced bankers in the real estate transaction law, um, and that goes above and beyond just a simple duty uh, to whether or not, hey, should we file this or not? Because, again, I, I point out to the court, this all started by an attorney just asking them, hey, do you want notice of a sale? <laughs> that went to filing a full deed of release, which is a huge document in the state of Missouri on, on, the, on real estate and whether or not it's encumbered. Because uh, uh, somebody levying on a piece of real estate, if there is a debt on it, they may decide, well, we're not going to do that because we're not going to get anything out of this sale. We have to pay a third party first, and then we might or may not uh, get um, any proceeds out of the result of the sale. But when when Busey Bank then files a full duty release, now we have a piece of property that's free and clear of any debt. 
um, and more than likely can satisfy whatever levy is going to be placed upon this property. Um, Mr. Williams, does the, does the record show who drafted that second document, the purported uh, uh, attempt at is essentially doing away with the prior deed of release? I believe so. Where did it does, that Robert. come from? That who came who from drafted Martin, that? Martin Lay, who is not the attorney for Busey Bank. I um, mean, so Mr. Bradley, Mr. Garrett now are relying upon attorneys for which they have no attorney-client uh, relationship with. Um, and again, they're, they're filing a document for which they don't know anything about, but they're relying upon a third party in Kansas City, Missouri, that this is how you handle the situation. Um, I see that I'm, I'm past my, my three minutes. I mean, I'll, I'll stop at this point in time because I've got three minutes of rebuttal. Thank you, Mr. Thank you. Mr. Eggman. Uh, good morning. May it please the court. My name is Rob Eggman. I practice with the St. Louis law firm of Carmen McDonald, and I'm here today representing Busey Bank and two employees, Garrett Bradley and Brian Schulte. Uh, this is an unusual case on summary judgment, I think, as the court had probably picked up on, because I think you'll probably find in the briefs that really there's not much of a disagreement as to the, the law in a slander and title situation. We agree upon the four elements. We agree that the first two elements were stipulated to, and the uh, second two elements are what is at issue. Second, I really don't think there's a disagreement as to the facts. What the appellants are asking this court to do is send this case back to the district court in the hopes that maybe, maybe after taking written discovery, after taking depositions of both Mr. Schulte and Mr. Bradley, and he's seen affidavits from both, that just perhaps, if you let this case get to a jury, maybe the jury's somehow going to find malice. But the problem is here, there has to be some, at least a modicum of evidence of malice in order to get beyond this, the uh, uh, motion for summary judgment stage. And there's nothing. There's well, nothing. Counsel, counsel, are you saying it's undisputed, or is it a matter of dispute that the defendants here uh, knew it was false, uh, uh, that there was uh, no deed of trust uh, at the bank when they filed a, a release on a purported deed that was really not in the bank's uh, portfolio? There's no question of fact as to that issue, Your Honor. These two individuals did not know it was false when they made this statement. Uh, in the appellant's argument, um, and in, in uh, connection with some but questions would, the, the language I've read, though, uh, I think this is a Brown case from the Eastern District of Missouri that says that uh, that you can you can prove that they knew it was false or reckless disregard of whether it was true or false. And as I understand the, the appellant's argument, he's saying in the positions that these individuals were, if you just pick up two people off the street and ask them a question about uh, something, that's one thing, but you get people who are actually uh, within the bank's uh, uh, business operations with access to the portfolio of instruments that they hold uh, to put out a, a, a document that seems to say they have the instrument and have released it uh, or had it at, and at that time and released it. Uh, that even if they if they didn't know that was false, to release it without at least doing some investigation uh, to to show that it was uh, uh, a question of 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 whether it was true or false, 
that releasing it without doing any checking was reckless and, and reckless in reckless disregard to the uh, uh, accuracy of, of the representation. But your honor, the undisputed facts in this case show that that's not accurate. There was an investigation and there's no question about it. There's no dispute as to that. Mr. Bradley and Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Schulte engaged in an investigation of the bank's records to look to see if there was any record of a borrower by the name of Erickson coming over from Blasky Bank to Busey Bank in the merger in 2016 and found nothing. They did a further investigation to see if there were any loan documents which would reflect perhaps there was a loan still on the books from the Pulaski days um, in this borrower's name, and there was not. A lot has been made out of this MERS situation. Should they have well, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't it have been the better thing to do is simply to write a letter and say, we have no record of such a loan, as opposed no. to issuing a, a deed of release of something uh, that's not there? Absolutely not, Your Honor, because if they don't have any record of the loan, and if the loan had in fact been paid in full, they had a duty under Missouri law 30 days after that loan had been paid in full to file a full deed of release. And what their records were finding is, oh my gosh, we didn't do that. So they had a duty not, not to file that deed of release and they were fulfilling what they thought was their statutory duty in the state of Missouri. And a lot has been made about this MERS search. Let's talk about that for a moment. Let's talk about the undisputed facts as found by Judge Bodenhausen. This gentleman from Iowa, Ed Cox, sent a title report to BC Bank. The title report, without a question of a doubt, showed that there was but one lien holder, and now it's Pulaski Bank. There's no evidence to suggest anywhere in the record that that had been um, assigned. Mr. Williams is right. Pulaski Bank was, in fact, a, um, a very big lender in the residential home loan mortgage uh, business before it merged with BC Bank. BC Bank, not so, but but Pulaski was. But look at this type of loan. This is rural property in Putnam County, Missouri. It does not immediately jump out at you as a piece of real estate that is your typical residential mortgage in the Pulaski portfolio. Plus, the title report that was sent by Mr. Cox had no, no suggestion whatsoever that this had been assigned. In fact, when you look at the findings of fact by Judge Bodenhausen, jumping ahead to April 2019, he points out two events which took place in that month. The first event was the affidavit of erroneous release. The second event was the assignment from Pulaski Bank, now known as Busey Bank, to Nation Star Mortgage. So there was nothing about what had taken place in 2018, March and February, that would probably ever even seasoned bankers like Mr. Bradley and Mr. Schulte to lead them to believe that this was a MERS loan. Now, remember, just one month after this deed of release was filed, they heard from Mr. Mr. Erickson. Mr. Erickson set the record straight. I still do owe money to Nation Star. That set this whole um, thing in action. But at that point in time, the uncontroverted evidence suggests that Mr. Schulte and Mr. Uh, uh, Bradley uh, believed, and rightfully so, in my opinion, that if you do a quick claim deed of release and you don't have any interest in that property, you haven't given up someone else's interest in the property. You've said, I don't have any interest in the property. So whether or not there was a false statement in this affidavit, that's true, there was, because they were not the owner of a deed of trust. But the reality is the deed of release did no harm to the Ericsons. It did no harm to Nation Star, because all Busey was saying is, we are giving up any interest we may have in this property. So. 
While it's not part of the... How does the second document play into the analysis? It doesn't, Your Honor, but I'll address the second document. The malice has to be in the filing of the initial document. If you look at the cases, especially the Beckley v. Apgar case, you'll note that most of these slander of title cases involve entirely different type of scenarios. Your typical slander of title case is somebody filing what I sometimes call a wild deed or a wild list pendants or a wild deed of trust, where it says, I've got no reason to say this, but I'm going to file a deed like a sovereign citizen, for example. I'm going to file a deed of trust on someone's property because they've wronged me. Or I'm going to, the aboriginal sovereign citizen, which says, I'm going to file a deed of, a warranty deed on a piece of property saying that I'm deeding this property myself. That is a slander of title because typically you're trying to get that property or prevent someone else from getting that property. So this is a very rare, odd case of alleged slander because what was happening here is the document that was filed in 2018 didn't hurt the Erickson's. In fact, it could have helped the Erickson's. And if you go forward in the timeline, you can see that what happened was the Erickson's began acting on that, even though the Erickson's knew they owed money to NationStar in April of 2018. And they acknowledged this and corrected UC Bay. Nevertheless, that same year, they did two things. Number one, they quit claiming this property to Erickson Cabinet LLC, which is the plaintiff and appellant in this case. Number two, they stopped paying NationStar. Fast forward to 2019, they did a couple more things. One, after the affidavit of erroneous release was filed and after a foreclosure proceeding was commenced, they entered into a contract to sell this property to the Sappers for $125,000. All this action was taken after the erroneous document was filed and some of the action was taken after the affidavit of erroneous release was filed. So still, the court has no evidence or had no evidence before it to suggest that any malicious intent existed in February and March of 2018 or March of 2018 when the actual erroneous document was filed. So let's look at the actions and the evidence, the uncontributed evidence that was before the court. Well, let me ask you, which category are you advocating for? Your theme in your brief was mistake. And don't say mistake. I was waiting for you to say it because we couldn't find that in any Missouri cases on slander of title. As you know, the standard is innocence, ignorance, and stupidity in the older cases. Now, which one of the three or all three are you claiming? It's going to be innocently and ignorantly. Ignorantly sounds like a bad word because I think people misuse it and sometimes exchange it for stupidity, but that's not the case. They were ignorant of a fact. They innocently recorded a deed of release because they were ignorant of the fact that this deed of trust and note had been assigned to Countrywide, who then assigned it to Bank of America, who then assigned it to NationStar. So we have innocence and ignorance here. And that is in the Beckley versus Advar case, which sets forth those elements. Does the concept of ignorance require some level of excusability of the ignorance? I mean, if it's information that you ought to know or ought to have reason to know, can ignorance be a defense? I believe so, Your Honor. I think in a slander of title case, ignorance can still be a defense, especially when 
you have the uncontroverted evidence that the district court had here. And that was, you know, the bank was presented with a lien search, which showed just one encumbrance on the property. And the reliance upon Mr. Cox and his lien search, the fact that Mr. Bradley was doing 40 to 50 lien releases a week after the merger with BC Bank, and the innocent conversations that took place in April 2018 with the Erickson's, where clearly Mr. Schulte and Mr. Bradley are saying, we apologize for the error. We'll do anything we need to do to make this right. You know, and had a very, very, you know, conciliatory attitude. Not to mention the fact that the uncontroverted evidence is that there was no dealings between these parties prior to April 2018. They harbored no ill will. They had no idea who the Erickson's were. It was a very limited dealing that, again, was uncontroverted. And it was uncontroverted the fact that they harbored no ill will towards the Erickson's. So once all this was presented to the district court, it was then the job of the appellants to shift the burden to them to prove something, that they had anything, that there was malice here. And unfortunately, they did not do so. You hear a lot from the appellants about what happened after the fact, but the case law is clear. The malice has to be in connection with the filing of the erroneous or false document. And all of the evidence suggested by the appellants going forward all took place. I still don't think it amounts to malice, but everything took place after that April 2018 conversation with the parties. Counsel, this is a, if you trace it all the way back, this is kind of a good faith inquiry. Do you agree with that? I would agree that it's got some good faith elements to it. I'm sorry, it's the St. Louis Court of Appeals back when it was called that. The St. Louis Court of Appeals in 1904, I think, started all this line with good faith and adding all these other words. So tell me what the other side says. Well, if they're bankers, it can't have been in good faith. So why doesn't that have just a smidgen of enough to get past summary judgment? I think there's zero credibility to that argument that just because they're bankers that a mistake means they didn't act in good faith. Even we lawyers from time to time make mistakes. I think we can allow the bankers to make mistakes from time to time. You've lapsed to mistakes. Don't go to mistakes, counsel. Mistakes not in Missouri law. Go ahead. Your Honor, I stole your word. I apologize. But in that regard, I think that when one makes an innocent error or one due to ignorance, it can certainly be in good faith. And there's not anything in the record to suggest that these were not in good faith. Not to mention the fact that there was no damage here. The idea that the sappers walked away from the contract because of the filing, and that is the 2018 filing, is not supported by the record. Did the district court make a finding specifically that there were no damages? Pardon me. Real question. Yes. Did Judge Bodenhausen say no damages? I don't have the opinion right in front of me. He found that they could not sustain their burden of showing that there were any damages because the sappers walked away due to the April 2019 filings and not due to the 2018 filing. But the 2019 filing would not have occurred without the 2018. It would not have, but that's not the standard. The filing in 2018 had to be the one with malice. 
So I don't, you can't prove malice after the fact by the fact that they corrected an error, which is all that all the 2019 filing did was correct the error on the deed of release and have the assignment uh, recorded. So unless the court has any further questions, my time appears to be up. All right. Thank you, Thank you Mr. Eggman. Mr. Williams, your rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honors. Uh, Your Honors, I'd like to go to the issue of damages. Um, Mr. Eggman and uh, appellees would like to, like everybody, and especially the underlying court, to disregard really the language of the affidavit of erroneous deed of release, which I have no case law or anything to, to say, nor have I ever been to a CLE that gives me an idea of what this document even is. Um, I don't even remember learning about it in law school, quite frankly. But if you look at the first paragraph, it specifically references the full deed of release that was filed in 2018. So when the sappers say that they referenced the filings of 2019, they are talking about an affidavit of erroneous release um, that clearly, clearly references a full deed of release that was full of false statements. Mr. Eggman just talked about that this was a quick claim full deed of release, and I respectfully disagree with that. This document that was filed in uh, April of 2018, or excuse me, March of 2018, is a full deed of release. There is no question about it. UC Bank clearly makes statements that they are the present holder, holder and owner of a promissory note, and they were not. They had, and even in their internal investigation, they can't prove to this court, nor could they prove to the district court, that they had information to show that the promissory note had been paid in full. They don't know. And they did nothing to confirm that, and yet they're going to file a document that shows a piece of property that's free and clear of any lien. Um, and well, that, counsel, now, now, oftentimes there's second and third mortgages and all kinds of other stuff, especially on commercial property. The deed of release only applies to the, to, the, to the note that's underlying it, correct? Yes, Your Honor. Okay, proceed. And that is, but Your Honor, to follow up on, on that, that question, uh, we knew that that was the only uh, deed of trust of record because Mr. Cox had provided uh, Busey Bank with a title search. So Mr. Eggman talks about assignments of the deed of trust. There was no record of any assignment of deed of trust. If there had been, why are we filing a deed of, an assignment of deed of trust in April of 2019? Which I will then go, I think, I know everybody doesn't want to talk about what happened after 2018, but again, the totality of the circumstances continue to show Busey's misconduct. They, they are referenced in the, the corporate assignment of deed of trust. They had no authority to do anything. And they knew that back in April of 2018. It's just their continued course of conduct that the jury should hear about showing that they, with, with malice, published a full deed of release in April of 2018, which clearly damaged my clients. They lost a $125,000 real estate sale. That's what happened in this case. And the sappers clearly referenced Busey Bank in their email. And they clearly represent a 2019 filing, which clearly references a 2018 filing. For all those reasons, Your Honor, we ask that you reverse the district court and allow us to proceed in trial and present this matter to a jury. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Thank you also, Mr. Eggman. The court appreciates both counsel's participation and argument this morning. Uh, it's been helpful in the resolution of the case as we study the record. Thank you. Counsel may be excused.